This is episode 228 with competitive ultra runner, entrepreneur, and a man who just doesn't give up, Mr. Connor Meekin. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to is about big injuries. The injuries that last not for months, but for years. We're speaking to Connor Meekin, a competitive mountain ultra runner who won a variety of ultra races in 2013 and 2014 in Canada and the U.S., only to get injured and get told by a doctor that he would never run again. This episode is about that journey, both from a psychological standpoint and how he physically healed. If you're new to the podcast, you can expect conversations just like this between me and other thought leaders in the running industry. My goal is to elevate your thinking about the sport, help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Don't miss our thriving YouTube channel where we just surpassed 55,000 subscribers. We have hundreds of videos on how to run longer, how to complete strength workouts for runners, how to stay healthy and run with better form, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. For more than a decade, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode is supported by Athletic Greens the health and wellness company that makes AG1, a category-leading greens mix that has 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com jason And you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly drop. See all the details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. All right, our guest today is Connor Meekin. Connor was a member of the Canadian men's national field hockey team for four years before starting mountain ultra running. He found early success, winning races in British Columbia and Washington before suffering a debilitating foot injury in 2014. Doctors told him he'd never run again. But after four years, Connor was back to running, and in 2019, he got back to ultramarathons and continued to win races. During his time away from running, he founded Bluebird Provisions Bone Broth as an outlet for his energy. We're going to discuss the early days of this injury, what happened when he realized his running dreams might be over, the psychological aspect of turning a setback into an opportunity, and the layers of treatment that go into a four-year injury. Without further delay, Please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Connor Meekin. Hey, Connor. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jason. I'm happy to be here. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, but I want to talk with you more specifically about uh, injuries because you had maybe the worst conversation a runner can have with a doctor. You were told that you were never going to be able to run again. And 
I kind of want to hear this story and, and have you walk us through that part of your life. How did you get to such a point? Yeah, so I had uh, grand ambitions as, a, as an ultra runner in my early running career. I got into running just looking for a competitive outlet when I was working, starting the corporate world. So early morning before work, I'd run with a good buddy of mine, Chris. We'd you know run around the local uh, road route, road routes around here in Vancouver, and eventually, you know, I think he or I had an idea to run the Vancouver Marathon. We did some googling, found out it was in about two months, so we registered. You know, did the typical thing most people do: start googling training plans, cram, try to fit a few long runs in. We got through the marathon. You know, obviously wasn't pretty as you know most people's first marathons are. After that, some friends of ours encouraged us to check out the trails. You know, we're in Vancouver, British Columbia. There's beautiful trails and mountains, uh, you know, everywhere you look around here. So eventually we got into the trails that summer, ended up running, you know, I ran two, two altars that summer. We ran a 50 K down in Washington and we're just like, so addicted to it. Uh, just got the bug. You know, I definitely have an addictive personality and, and just loved pushing myself and I was naturally pretty good at it. So, you know, that whole positive feedback, loop and mechanism was kicking in. So, you know, ran another, ran a 50 miler at the end of that summer and, and really just got like so hungry and determined the next season to really, you know, have a go at it and just see how far I could push it and how competitive I could be and all those kinds of things. So trained, you know, like crazy as you do in the off season and started looking at races in the spring and summer. So back in 2016, but, um, Ended up finding out about uh, that race in Montana called the Rut, and uh, through some some research, I found out that uh, Killian was going to be there, and you know Solomon was bringing out their whole you know film crew and all this, all these other athletes, and I felt like it was going to be you know the most competitive race, at least in in North America for that distance that year. So I wanted to be a part of it and test test my medal. So I was so determined to get there and just be ready for it and, and compete and. And, you know, who knows how well I would have done, but I was, you know, just so excited to get it, to get it going. So, um, targeted a few races early that season and into the summer. Uh, and, you know, at one point right around, uh, you know, July 1st, I was doing a couple of long runs on a weekend and I think on the second, you know, the back-to-back long runs, the second one I was running, uh, up a mountain called Coliseum here in greater Vancouver. And, I remember just, you know, rolling my ankle as you do, but you know, this one was obviously a bit worse than just your regular ankle rolls. Um, so yeah, you heard the pop and all that ended up doing the, you know, the walk of shame back to the car with a couple of, uh, walking sticks. So I was kind of hobbling about, uh, I don't know, it was probably three or four miles, six or seven kilometers back to the car. Did what most people used to do at the time, you know, iced it, you know, put some Voltaren gel on it. It didn't really do much rehab and kind of kept running after a few days while it was black and blue and the size of a grapefruit. So I think the next weekend I was running down a trail. I always run down here and I noticed, um, I noticed some, some weird pain on the bottom of my foot and, and it kind of felt like, um, I don't really know how to describe it, but it felt like something definitely kind of, kind of ripped off and it almost felt like, uh, the bottom of my foot, uh, was kind of flapping it developed like a wing or something uh below the skin obviously but uh yeah it was a really weird sensation lots of pain kind of got back to the car and what what ended up happening 
I found out later was that I'd, uh, I'd ruptured my plantar fascia. So, um, most people, runners know about, uh, you know, plantar fasciitis or fasciosis or whatever you call it these days. It's a lot of kind of micro tears and trauma to the plantar fascia, which is the, you know, the, 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 the fascia or the structure on the bottom of your foot that kind of holds your arch up. Now, uh, later after some imaging, I found out that I kind of had a, had a, I had basically like a hole in it. So if you look at MRIs and, and ultrasounds, there was a, a big black kind of hole that was the size of, uh, it's about the size of a, a nickel or a dime. Um, so it's pretty, pretty sizable for that area. And, um, that's when the idea of, you know, racing this race, the route that I kind of planned my whole season around was, was, was starting to slip away. I was seeing a lot of physios, a lot of doctors, um, pretty much anyone who would see me, massage therapists, I was still, you know, training like a maniac on the side and cross training and doing all the things you do. But, you know, I was still running through it in hindsight, which is obviously an awful idea, running through a lot of pain. You know, my gait was like severely compromised while trying to run, which is always a bad, uh, a bad sign. So I remember one time physically, uh, vividly just being in a doctor's office. He was a, he was a rate radiologist at a, at a local hospital here. And he, he, he said, you know, listen, I've looked at a lot of, uh, imaging on all sorts of athletes with, uh, you know, Achilles tendon issues and, you know, all sorts of tendon and, and fascia and ligament issues. And he said, he told me this was like, it was, it was probably the worst one he'd ever seen. And, and I, I kind of laugh now, but I really, like my jaw hit the floor. I couldn't believe it. Like it, it you know, it, it was painful, but it didn't feel that bad. Um, so I couldn't believe it. And, you know, after that, he was saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're so fit. You should get into, get into cycling. Maybe you could, you know, be a decent, decent cyclist, uh, based on, you know, some of your, your running times you're telling me, it, it, you know, eventually we got to chatting. I was like, Oh no, I'm not really interested in cycling. So we'll just, you know, fix me up and we'll get back to running. And that's when he kind of said, Hey, you know, uh, you might not run again. And if you do, it's probably not going to be, uh, in the fashion that, you know, you've run before, like, you know, we can, try some things, but this, uh, this injuries, you know, it's, it's pretty serious. And that's when I was just, just devastated, just, you know, felt like my heart had been ripped out and that kind of kickstarted, uh, you know, basically like a three year journey of trying to, trying to fix the thing and, and ultimately get back to running at some point. I can't imagine having that conversation with a doctor and them telling you, you can't do the thing that you love so much. That is just such a sucker punch to the gut. But it sounds like you almost had two different injuries. Was the ankle roll that you got first, was that maybe a, a precursor to your plantar fascia injury? Or did that potentially help cause it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, playing, playing sports growing up, what a lot of people do, you know, obviously you, you roll your ankles all the time. If you're playing any sort of mixed sport, you kind of just, you know, you're usually fine. But as a result, a lot of people that come from these mixed sport backgrounds have poor ankle mobility at the best of times. And uh, I certainly have awful ankle mobility and, you know, running, running on this, uh, you know, recent sprain. Um, yeah, I was just a recipe for disaster in hindsight. Like my ankle wasn't moving at all. It was still swollen. So, you know, 
running with an ankle that doesn't move. You know, I was told by, you know, physio that basically I was running on like a hoof with a foot that didn't move at all. So, you know, <laughs> all that, all that, uh, all that impact from running is going to go somewhere if you're, especially if your foot isn't moving properly. So in my case, my hoof, uh, a lot of it, uh, I guess, you know, ended up the first thing that broke or whatever was the, the fascia. So, um, yeah. My goodness. And you had a hole in your plantar fascia. I cannot imagine the the fact that you were even able to run on that kind of an injury. Uh, <laughs> you must either really love running or just love to be in pain. <laughs> it was uh, definitely a, an obsession at that point. I, you know, definitely have an obsessive personality, and and uh, I was just so I was so hungry for it. I just you know I loved it, and I'm just so competitive almost to a fault sometimes that I just I wanted it so bad, and I just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready and didn't, didn't have the, didn't have the confidence or the, yeah, just the, just the fortitude to, to rest properly, which I guess I've developed now with age, but yeah, I guess you see it in a lot of people, you know, they have the, they have the guts to, to train like crazy, but they don't necessarily have that same confidence or guts to, to rest properly. Yeah. And I think that's a really difficult skill to learn, to have the confidence not to train hard, to really take it easy and focus on your recovery I'm curious what your recovery looked like because, you know, you're, you're running now. So assuming you, you recovered from this plantar fascia injury, how do you even go about fixing a tendon or, you know, this kind of connective tissue that just has a hole in it? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. As you mentioned, there, there, there's, I really couldn't find much precedence for the specific degree of injury I had. You, you kind of hear of athletes saying that they actually, that they ruptured their plantar fascia, but I don't think they actually do in that case. Um, cause a lot of these athletes you hear are coming back within a couple of months. Um, so in my case, it was really just throwing everything at it. Tried, tried everything. I was, it, it, you know, in 2016, um, you know, uh, PRP, so platelet rich plasma therapy and prolotherapy and some of these injection therapies were kind of coming onto the scene. They're, they're, you know, they're still on coming onto the scene. They're a little more ubiquitous now, but, I talked to a couple of runners and one of them had recommended a naturopath here in Vancouver who was doing PRP. And so, so this is, you know, I'll caveat, this is after, you know, probably eight, eight to 12 months of physio and massage and trying, trying different things, uh, less severe modalities. So I was like, listen, you know, I did a consult, he did, did more imaging, kind of told me he thought that he could maybe fix it, have a go at it. So yeah, I paid out of pocket to get, to get PRP. Uh, I got PRP four times on it. I actually got prolotherapy six times on it by this, the same practitioner over, this was about over a year period. And yeah, to make matters, uh, as if they weren't depressing enough, I actually think all these injections made it worse. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the tricky thing with, with, with PRP is, is it certainly works for some injuries and, you know, prolotherapy as well. Um, doesn't work as well for certain injuries, but I think more importantly, it's actually more about the practitioner doing it than the actual technique. Um, and, and, you know, the practitioner, I, I think he was fine. I, you know, I, I just, I think maybe the, the severity was a little bit much for, in terms of the expectations of, of trying to fix it. So, you know, it, yeah, in hindsight, it actually made it worse. And, you know, I was kind of more hobbled after all these, like, ridiculous uh injection therapies i tried so you know it, it begs the question if maybe i just rested for a year would things have 
been better, been worse. It's hard to say, but again, it's hard. It's hard to just sit around and do nothing. It's a lot easier mentally if you kind of figure out you're actually doing something and you kind of have a plan. Yeah, for sure. If, if you had to look back and kind of kind of divide all the different treatment methods that you went through into two camps, things that you think were actually helpful and then things that probably didn't help. Sounds like the injection therapy actually made things worse. But what were some of the recovery approaches that you took that that did have a positive impact on the injury? Sure. So so I'll um so we have those two categories and then I'll 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 have two categories of what did work. There's kind of like the I'll say for lack of a better word, the uh the treatment modalities and then there's like the 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 miscellaneous fluff out there. Now, in terms of the treatment modalities, I think um I, I I saw a couple of, I probably saw three different physios trying to trying to deal with this. And yeah, in hindsight it would have been nice to get other opinions from different physios maybe earlier in the process. So I always tell people, you know, runners, it doesn't hurt to get a second opinion. If things aren't working with your physio on a certain injury, go see another one. A fresh set of eyes always helps. So yeah, I mean, one physio I had kind of helped me turn things around from a biomechanical perspective. Um, definitely helped on, on, on the gate retraining and, and, and those types of things, which, you know, is controversial in, in itself. But I think if you're really chronically injured, it, it, it could certainly help. Um, I also saw a, a different massage therapist who was doing some, some things I'd never seen before. It wasn't like deep massage. He kind of called it, what did he call it? He almost called it like a fascia, uh, massage. So he was doing these weird, it almost feel, felt like a rope, like a rope burn. He was like, kind of like twisting my calves and like turning them with weird pressure. And I don't know if that worked, but it seemed different at the time. So I thought maybe it was helping. The other thing I, I started, um, I did see, I saw another, another doctor who was, who was, uh, I mentioned before. So this was the radiologist and he, he actually did, he did PRP another time using a slightly different technique, which was called a, I'm probably going to butcher this, uh, but it's a micro tenotomy. So the way he kind of sold this to me is that, you know, some practitioners doing PRP or Prolo, they will uh, they will just inject the area and try to bathe the uh, the wound or, or or the scar tissue or whatever in the solution that they're injecting. Now, I think, to my understanding, the tenotomy or this different technique is you actually you actually do like fifty or a hundred tiny little injections with the needle while you're on the site of the injury. So this this radiologist um, he took an interest in my case and he. he he kind of like, he kind of used the metaphor to me of like sewing. So he was basically just, you know, doing tiny little injections all over, all over the site of the injury. And it's hard to say in hindsight, if this worked, I think it, I think it definitely helped. Um, so those are the, the treatment modalities. I would say on the, on the fluff side of things, I think a couple of things. One thing was, was actually for me, just, just kind of getting away from running and, and almost like relinquishing or, or give, you know, uh, giving up on the hope of getting back to running as, as sad as that was. And it really took me a couple of years to get there. Um, had to kind of get off, get off any social media, get off Strava. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't go to races cause it was just too depressing. You know, I couldn't help crew for people or be around the community. It was just, it just hurts so much. So, but I think creating that distance and just getting away from it and kind of giving up the idea of running really helped mentally and, and, you know, certainly probably help the injury as well. And then, and then the last thing I would say is I tried a specific loading, loading protocol that, um, this researcher that was at, I think he was at UC 
Davis or Santa Barbara. Do you know uh, Keith Barr? I've heard the name. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot where I heard him. Anyways, he's like the world leading tendon expert and he does a lot of research on, on tendons and he's done a lot of case studies and research using uh, collagen or gelatin with a specific loading protocol to uh, basically rehab tendon injuries. So he published a case study um, using it to rehab a Achilles tendon, you know, a severe case of Achilles tendonitis. And I emailed him, I was like, listen, you think this similar protocol would work for a, you know, plantar fascia issue? He said, yeah, you know, give it a shot. Try this, try this. Uh, can you get gelatin? I was like, oh, you know, uh, can I try using uh, bone broth instead? And he said, oh, yeah, if it has a similar amino acid profile, you know, you need the glycine and the proline in particular. Uh, give it a shot. So anyways, doing a lot of Googling uh, as part of kind of the, the fluff aspect of my of my uh, healing journey. I, you know, I tried eating all these weird different foods that would help stimulate, uh, you know, growth or whatever, trying to heal injuries. And one of the things I did find was was bone broth, specifically due to the amino acid profile and the collagen in it. Um and then, you know, talking to uh, this researcher, Dr. Dr. Barr, he said, uh, yeah, you know, give it a shot. Try this protocol. It was it was a basic, um, pr- pretty standard loading protocol that you'd use for Achilles rehab where, you know, I kind of started with a lot of heavy isometrics and then through, you know, a two or three week phase, I would uh, progress to some isotonics. So like an up down and then if it would tolerate, I would try some, you know, the traditional eccentric heel drops that everyone does for Achilles tendon issues. I actually found the eccentrics didn't quite help. They would kind of just irritate it a lot. So a lot of, um, a lot of isotonics, so up and down and a lot of isometrics seemed to help. But I think the key with this researcher, uh, mentioned was, uh, was ingesting, you know, collagen or gelatin, or in my case, bone broth with a tiny bit of vitamin C an hour before you do this loading protocol. And uh, I don't really know the science of it, but, but you know, so something happens where uh, your loading helps uh, shuttle the amino acids that are in the gelatin or collagen into your tendon um, while you're loading it. So, yeah, throwing all that stuff at it, uh, eventually it started to feel a little bit better. But this, yeah, again, this was, pro- this was about three years after the initial injury. I can't imagine having an injury for so long, but I, I think... This is a great case study of when you have a very severe injury, you typically can't really follow the same rules as someone who has a very minor injury. You know, you have a little bit of plantar fasciitis. You're going to treat that very differently than someone like you who literally has a hole in their plantar fascia. And, you know, typically rest is not treatment. But for something like this, it sounded like time away from running and that kind of stress was really helpful for for this injury. You know, it reminds me of very much like a bone injury where if you have a stress fracture or a stress reaction, one of the best things you can do is is nothing. Just sit around and and really let those tissues heal. And it sounds like you were able to figure out a, a good approach to giving those tissues the nutrients they needed to heal and and all that. Now I'm curious about the the psychological side of things because this is an injury that took years for you to resolve you were told you were never able to run again can you talk about the psychological toll that that took on you sure yeah looking back i can you know i could certainly reflect now but at the time i remember i couldn't even i couldn't even really talk about it like i you know i was i was truly depressed at the time i i put so many you know eggs in this basket and i was so 
just hungry for it and and to to have that opportunity and and gift of running taken away from me it was just it's 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 even like i could talk about it now at the time i certainly couldn't it was it was really hard for me i i kind of isolated myself i didn't really you know talk to friends and family about how bad it was because when you're injured it's it it just sucks being the injured person you know you people end up just asking you, Oh, Hey, how's running going or what's going on? And I would just say, Oh yeah, you know, it's going fine. Cause I was, I was truly, I was, I was embarrassed and, and, and there was a lot of, um, a lot of shame and guilt that, that went with it as well. And I say shame and guilt because when you're running ultras, it's not really what your friends and family would, would typically see as normal. So you're already out here on the edge, on the periphery. And I think you being injured, really just confirms their biases and, and their insecurities about what you're doing. And, and I just had, a, I just had a hard time at the time kind of admitting that to people. I just thought my ego was so tied up in it and, and I didn't listen, listen to people telling me that maybe I was running too much. And I just had so much shame and guilt that I isolated myself. I would, I would drink, I would, I'd go out with friends occasionally and, and, and drink. But then I, I remember it would always happen. We'd be at a bar, you know, late at night drinking. And all of a sudden I would just be like, Oh, like I'd try to distract myself, but it would always come back late at night. I would be like, Oh my goodness. I, w- I wish I was like in bed sleeping. Cause I have a big run tomorrow or something. And, and eventually I would like, I would like Houdini exit out of there and like go home and like, you know, go to sleep and, you know, just sleep it all off. So it was like this, this weird cycle and, and yeah, pulling myself out of that was, was, was extremely difficult. Yeah. I think it's really hard when you just love the sport so much and it's a big part of your identity. Now all of a sudden you can't do it anymore. And the people in your life who are used to asking you about the thing that you love so much now aren't getting the same answers. And and you almost sort of feel sorry for yourself because you can't even do the thing that you love. You can't talk about it anymore either. And and that can just be a, a really tough place to be for, for really passionate runners. Did you find another outlet for your, you know, addictive personality, like you mentioned earlier? Because, you know, obviously you've got to do something. You've got to pour that energy somewhere else. Yeah, I never, certainly there was no substitute for running. I, uh, love being active. So I did a, I couldn't really walk much at the time. Uh, did a ton of cycling, you know, bought a, did, did some Googling, bought a road bike from, uh, from some guy here in Vancouver and, you know, poured myself into cycling, did, started doing all the local climbs and, and routes around here. Did, you know, I, to be honest, I hated cycling at the time. I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is going to be, hopefully I can just like get back to running soon and, and stay fit for running. You know, I've, I, now, you know, I still cycle now and now I like it, you know, it's fine. It's certainly no substitute for running. There, there's a couple of really fulfilling and nice things about it. You can cover a lot of ground. It's a great way to explore and see an area. Obviously it's lower impact, easier on the joints. Um, so I'd say from an activity point of view that, uh, at least calmed the, the, you know, my crazy monkey brain in terms of wanting to be out there pushing myself and doing something. I think in terms of like, other substitutions. Yeah. I, I kind of just got away. I, um, I remember doing, you know, the, su- the summers were obviously the hardest cause you see everybody out there doing stuff. Did a lot of fishing in the summers, uh, kind of just, you know, got away, did a bit of walking if I could hung out with friends. Um, 
nothing, nothing really too exciting in, in hindsight. Yeah, hard for a runner to to find a worthy replacement of running because let's be honest, there is no worthy replacement for running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Cycling is great. I have a road bike myself and in the warmer months I, I love getting out once or twice a week, but it, it doesn't it doesn't give me my fix just like running does. Um now Connor, I sort of like talking to runners about failure, n- not just because I'm a sadist, <laughs> but you know, I, I know that these experiences provide uh, just big opportunities for growth. And I'm curious if you took advantage of this injury to, you know, move your running forward afterwards or, you know, otherwise how your mindset changed about the sport as you got healthy and then were able to run again. Yeah, I would say a, a few different things. The first thing that comes to mind is as corny as it is, just not taking running for granted. So obviously, I was just flying a little too close to the sun there at the time, pushing through injuries and hindsight was, was just silly and, 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 and stupid. And, but you know, a lot of times you can't really tell people that. And I, you know, I see people going through similar things that are younger than me and it's, you, you can, you can talk to them about it, but sometimes, sometimes you, as sad as it is, you kind of have to hit rock bottom yourself to, to, to really experience the, the, the pain and kind of learn the lessons, which is, which sucks, uh, to say, but that that's, kind of the way it is with some people. Now, in terms of turning that around, I would say, you know, I, I really, I, I really recognize running as a gift now. So it's something that it just fills me up so much. And and you hear similar people that have gone through things like, like I have mentioned the same thing where, Hey, you know, I'd love to be, I want to be running when I'm 80 years old or at least hiking. So I would say it kind of changed my, um, not goals, but, but, you know, what I'm optimizing for is certainly, certainly performance, uh, in the short term, you know, five, 10 years, but, but longevity as well. Um, and I'm sure you can, can attest to this getting into more strength training and, and really just trying to set myself up for success when I'm 70, as opposed to, you know, a couple of years of good running and racing and, and flaming out. The interesting thing about the injury is that, um, it certainly, certainly changed my life. So I mentioned how I was, you know, Googling and trying all these weird different foods. I remember eating, you know, eating all sorts of weird things. I was eating like raw aloe vera because someone told me that it was, you know, good for healing things. And I was like taking all this weird stuff like colostrum and all these weird, weird supplements. But I, I mentioned how I was making bone broth. So this was in like 2015, 2016, where uh, there weren't a ton of companies selling it. Certainly in Canada, there, there, there was one other company selling it. And I, I kind of looked around and was like, "Hey, wh- why don't you try? Why don't you try selling this?" I just became, I became so passionate about about bone broth as a product because I, I thought it played some sort of role in, in my healing journey. Now, whether it did or it didn't, you know, it's obviously hard to say. It certainly didn't, you know, heal my injury. I would say, but uh, regardless, I, I was just so 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 excited about it. Um, started giving it to friends and family. They appeased me and said it tasted good you know it's always hard to take their feedback at face value but um i started making it and and eventually started trying to sell it so i uh decided i was ready for something new i always wanted to start a business and and kind of uh take my time and 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 fade into my own hands so wasn't sure it was going to be in food i love cooking and food but uh this was kind of just the the a good confluence of time and opportunity for me. I uh, didn't have a mortgage, didn't have kids, didn't have a partner at the time. I live incredibly frugally. So I thought it was a good time to take some risks and uh, try to start a business. So, you know, 
started Googling how to start a business and, you know, ended up finding out the certifications and the licensing I needed and, and all the all the hoops you have to jump through from an insurance and, and liability perspective to make a food product. I had to rent a commercial kitchen, hire people on Craigslist, all that kind of fun stuff. Now, fast forward to today and, and it's it's my life. So, you know, my company, Bluebird Provisions, we, we make uh, organic bone broth and sell it uh, across the US and Canada. So it's, it's crazy to reflect now that, you know, the, the, the kind of, the kind of gift that, that injury gave me. And I'll say it, it, it kind of changes the way I think about failure and obstacles now, you know, the stoic philosophy is certainly becoming more in vogue um, with, you know, authors and people writing about it and popularizing it and that kind of thing. And, and when it started doing that, I really, um, as a lot of, I find a lot more men are kind of drawn to it than, than women. I'm not really sure why, but I find myself kind of relating to it. And, and a lot of the tenets of stoicism, I'm certainly no expert, but it's, you know, Hey, um, here's an obstacle. Uh, I'm going to reframe that obstacle into an opportunity. Where can I find the positive or the silver lining in these setbacks? And I think, I think because of such an extreme example in my case of almost like I've almost trained my psychology to think of like any sort of failure or setback, whether it's personal or professional or running or work. Um, I kind of try to see, hey, hey, where's the positive here? Like, how can we create a better outcome because of this? That is such a great mindset shift to have. And, you know, I, I think it's so inspiring to hear you kind of take this huge negative in your life, this debilitating injury that took years to recover from. And it not only, you know, was something that you were able to recover from and you got back to running, but, you know, you started a business and it was almost a direct result of that injury. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I, I really see a lot of myself in the story. You know, strength running is here because of the worst IT band injury I ever got in my life. And, you know, I was able to get back on the road in, in about six months and not three years, but you know, I, I really felt like once I did get healthy, I felt like I had something to share with the running community. And that was sort of the the genesis of strength running back in, in 2010. But I, I, I like how you used the, the adversity, the obstacle of getting injured and turned it into a positive because I think there are opportunities to learn from these kinds of, uh, situations. Um, you know, and, and one of the problems that I had when I first got injured, and I'm sure you felt like this too, is that it just makes it so easy to feel like you're just going to throw in the towel permanently. And, and I know that when I had that ITBS injury, I spent a lot of time moping around. <laughs> I, I always joke around that I spent months on the couch watching reruns of house, but it was completely true. And, and that really prolonged my recovery because I just didn't have a good mindset about it. And, and I wasn't trying to make the best of it. How did you, first of all, did you experience that yourself? And, and how did you kind of get into, you know, this, this mindset now of seeing obstacles and almost being grateful for them because they could be opportunities? Yeah, it's, I think it's hard. I think, I think that comes a bit more naturally to some people than to other people. And I, I say this because I remember a friend of mine, um, who had broken his leg, uh, you know, he wanted to chat and have coffee. Uh, I was like, Oh, great, great, great to catch up. And I, I, for some reason, this always stuck with me. He, he was asking how, I, how I stayed motivated through, you know, 
years of just like being down and, and years of just, you know, uh, adversity. And it's hard because I didn't have the best answer for him. He was going through a hard time. You know, he was kind of just, it's kind of like, like what you said, we all kind of mope around and, and kind of uh, wallow in our own kind of self-pity for some of us longer than others. And I think he was having kind of a hard time with it. Um, I'll say with, with my injury, I, I didn't quite, you know, I, I moped around for a bit and I was certainly, certainly depressed, but I think, it's hard. My motivation was still so high to, to, to get back and to kind of find a way through it that it really took, it really took a year of, of, of not getting better while still being so motivated and trying things to almost like, uh, beat me or pump me into submission where I was truly like moping around. And as I mentioned, yeah, you know, we all kind of wallow around and, and sit on the couch and watch TV. And I think for me, yeah, a lot of it was, also, uh, you know, t- telling myself I was using it as a way to reconnect with friends. And, and there was certainly a lot of that in some cases, trying to kind of grow some relationships that maybe had, you know, faltered a bit um, when I was so focused on running. But yeah, I mean, for me, I was definitely, definitely drinking as well more. I wouldn't, I wasn't the type of person that would drink on, on my own or anything. You know, I wouldn't like sit at home on a Friday night and just, you know, drink a lot, but yeah, I would certainly try to find ways to connect with friends and, you know, there's always alcohol involved. So I would definitely, you know, self-medicate a bit with that. But um, yeah, it's hard because my, my motivation is, is so high. And I think I've kind of maybe slightly um, a rare case in that sense, but it's tricky. How I'm curious with you, have you found that because of your experience with the IT band, injury um does that change your motivation and how you how you uh relate to or try to treat other kind of injuries or niggles or have you had to deal with other things yeah for sure um when i got that it band injury it was it was a really debilitating injury i couldn't run at all you know not even a little bit not even really slow it took seeing about four different physical therapists and and a lot of research on my own to try to figure out okay, what's actually happening inside my body right now? How can I strengthen the areas that I need to strengthen? What areas do I need to strengthen in the first place? And and I think the process made me much more aggressive about treating niggles in in the future. Uh, So after that, anytime something started to hurt or, you know, I got some discomfort, then I would really, really work on treating that, that, that niggle right away. Uh, I wouldn't ignore it. I wouldn't run through it. Uh, And then there were also updates to how I structured my training. Because at this point, I was a post-collegiate runner. I didn't have a coach. I was doing all this training on my own. I wasn't on a team like I was, you know, when I was in college. And so, you know, I, I reduced the intensity of my running a little bit. I restructured how I did certain things. And I got, on the one hand, much more aggressive treating certain things. But on the other hand much more conservative with some aspects of my training. You know, I didn't run through discomfort like I used to. You know, I think we're all 22 years old at a certain point. We think we can run through anything. I mean, you are you had a hoof. You were running yeah. on a hoof, <laughs> Connor. So, you know, we, we all experienced that at a certain point. But it did give me a certain amount of, I almost felt like it was just old man wisdom. I was like, no, I'm not going to just make silly choices about my body and about my training like I did when I was 
in my you know early 20s. I'm going to make the wise decision. I'm going to make the decision that probably a good coach would advise me to do, you know, but but hopefully I can do that for myself. And yeah, it was it was a really you know, it's tough because you know like you were saying younger people can listen when you're trying to give them advice, but at the same time those negative experiences can turn out to be moments of growth, moments when you learn more about yourself and and something new it comes up from the ashes of that injury. In your example, you started your company. In my example, I started strength running. And, and I think in either example, there's a lot of positive to come out of that, both in the way that our mindsets changed, how we approached our running, the things that we focused on when you know, we couldn't focus on our running. So like you, I'm almost a little hesitant to, you know, tell runners, you know, be so conservative with your training that you're never going to get injured because those injuries are going to teach you a lot about yourself. So I see a lot of value in them too. That's interesting. I, I guess the first thing I think of when you, when you mentioned that there's, there's so much value in, in learning from your own kind of mistakes and injuries. I was curious, do you kind of find are you even more conservative than say what like a physio that maybe you're seeing would prescribe? Cause I actually find that I'm almost so traumatized from that injury that, you know, you get to the thing where, Oh, Hey, you know, I don't want to say I'm like a hypochondriac, but like, I'm so hyper aware, especially with me having a history of foot and kind of calf issues, anything down there. It's like, I just don't mess with it. Like any little niggle, there's no chance I'm going to run through it. And even almost my physio is like, Oh, you got to like, you know, with tendon stuff, it's like, Oh, you got to load it. You got to load it. And I'm just like, Oh, like, so I always like have that juxtaposition and, and issue even now. Yeah. I think it's tough. I mean, I, I think if anything, all of my experiences in running, whether it was injuries, great races, poor races, it's given me a better understanding and appreciation for just the wide variety of things that can happen, you know, in your running career, both from an injury perspective and how you feel and all that. So, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, I have less firmly held opinions now on things than I did when I was 20 years old. Because when I was 20, it was, you run through stuff. If it doesn't hurt this bad, you can run through it. Or if something hurts, just take a week off. I had very clear ideas on what to do. And now I'm much more willing to say, we don't know, or we're going to take a testing approach. We're going to do a little bit of loading. We're going to, you know, sort of just see how things go and then adapt on the fly to the treatment approach that we're using or, or even the training approach that we're using. So I think I'm much more flexible now. And flexibility is probably one of the skills I've learned from all the trials and tribulations of training. Right. Yeah. It's refreshing to hear. It's nice to hear uh, when people say, hey, uh, I, I don't really know. I don't know the answer, you know. <laughs> Connor, I enjoyed you turning into the interviewer for a few minutes there. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I really want to thank you for sharing your story and kind of like this whole process. I, I think it's really interesting when people experience debilitating injuries that take years to recover from, but they do recover from them. And, and, and I think the lessons that the rest of us can draw from that, both from the recovery approach, but also from the psychological side of things, you know, how you dealt with it, the other things that you might have, you know, focused your energy on during that time. Uh, I'm, I'm excited that you, you know, started a, a whole new business for yourself, uh, kind of out of the ashes of this injury. I think it's very inspiring. Um, when we think about kind of this whole process for you and 
getting this injury and treating it and starting your company and getting healthy. Is there anything I missed that you think would be helpful for our listeners as, as we wrap up this story? Not in particular. I would say the main thing, as, as silly as it sounds sometimes, is you know, listening to your body. You know, if, if something is screaming at you to stop, you should probably stop. I say for myself, you know, it's always so hard for us to be to be objective with our own training and our own, you know, rehab or, or, or you know, how we structure things. That's why, obviously, it's great to have a coach um, for, for a lot of us that end up kind of coaching ourselves or whatever that might, whatever uh, form that might take. I, th- I think trying to be objective and, and almost, um, almost, almost giving yourself advice as if it were you giving a friend advice. So one of the tricks I have is like, Hey, you know, if I have a niggle or something, it's like, okay, what advice would I give to a friend who just texted me saying they had this, this niggle? Um, I think instead of taking my own silly advice, because I know my monkey brain is going to find a way to, to, to twist things and, and justify exactly what I'm doing. I try to just remove that part of it. And I think another thing that might help is just having an accountability friend or partner. So in my case, obviously my, my girlfriend keeps me in check. She'll, she'll tell me if I'm kind of, you know, lying to myself or not being honest with myself with where I'm at physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, if I'm trying to, if I, I find if I'm trying to sell her that I'm, that, you know, I'm going to run through some niggle or, or, you know, Hey, I feel fine. You know, just having that extra, that extra check of accountability to really check you and check in and, and, you know, call us out on our biases because we all have biases. It's just kind of, figuring out what those triggers are and, and putting some, some processes in place to um, remove the subjectivity of it. I think that's a gr- great advice. And, and it's funny you say that because I often find myself trying to slow my own thinking down, my own little monkey brain, because I'm making decisions that I would advise all of my clients not to make. Yeah. So I'm doing an easy run and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my watch and I'm doing the math. And I'm like, well, if I just run a 708 mile, then I'll finish this seven mile run in exactly 50 minutes. And that really speaks to like my OCD nature. You know, I can't run seven miles in 50, 24. I've got to run 50 flat for the time. And I start picking up the pace and I'm like, what are you doing? This is an easy run. Just go super comfortable. And, and all of a sudden I have to just be like, Jason, it doesn't matter if you run 20 seconds slower on this mile it's going to make you feel better tomorrow. This is exactly what you would tell any of your clients. And I I think the idea of accountability from a third party is so extraordinarily valuable because most of us sort of know what to do or we sort of know the right decision to make, but it's so hard to make that, especially in the moment, especially if you don't have that sounding board. So I I think that's excellent advice. And, And I can certainly experience it in my own life where, you know, I'm, I'm not making those good decisions, but trying to, I'm trying so hard. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. Well, Connor, this was really fun. Uh, I, I'm so glad to hear that you're, you're back to running, you're healthy, you're thriving with, uh, your company. So congratulations. I'm going to include links to everything in the show notes on strength running. Connor, thanks for being here, man. Thanks so much, Jason. It's great to, great to chat. There we have it, friends. I hope you enjoy this conversation and that it inspired you to prioritize injury prevention and to never lose hope when you experience a major setback. If you got value from this episode, please consider a review of the podcast in Apple Music. 
And if you do want to learn more about injury prevention, so you hopefully never experience an injury like Connor's, I've asked nine elite athletes what their favorite recovery and prevention strategies are. You can get it all at strengthrunning.com slash elites. You'll hear from Dathan Ritzenhine, Amelia Boone, David Roche, Ian Sharman, and other amazing athletes on how to stay healthy. That's strengthrunning.com slash elites. Finally, I'm so grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. I personally struggle with eating all the healthy food I know I should be eating, so I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful when I'm training. One scoop per day gives me 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a green superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics to help give those probiotics their food, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly. And it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And with all three of my kids in school, I know I've got to support my immune system or else I'm getting sick and then I can't run. But what I love about AG1 is that it actually changes. Over the last decade, they've made over 50 improvements to the formula based on the latest research to make these nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with third-party testing. If you go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason, you can see the great offer they've put together for our listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment if you just want to try it, or you can get a monthly drop if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. All right, have a wonderful holiday, my friends. We'll be in touch very soon. 